Well, good morning, church family. If you're excited to be here, let me hear you say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm excited, too. I'm excited, too. I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 46 if you've got a copy of God's Word. And I, while you're doing that, I want to welcome those of you joining us out at our Prince William and Loudoun locations, as well as those of you joining us online as we conclude our summer series entitled A Psalm for Everything. And I hope you've been so encouraged over the past many weeks as various pastors from our church have shown us how there's a psalm that really speaks to every circumstance that we can face in this life. They're so rich and provide wisdom and encouragement in ways that we absolutely need. And today we're going to look at Psalm 46, which is actually in our church's Bible reading plan tomorrow. It's a psalm given to us specifically for times of trouble. And I'm using that word intentionally because it comes right from the first verse of this psalm. And when it uses the word trouble, it's referring to things like distress, affliction, anguish, tribulation, even attack. And so as we begin this morning, I want us just to start with a simple question. I'm going to ask you this. Are you troubled? Is there anything in your life right now that is leaving you feeling troubled? And the psalm is going to speak to that, I believe, today. Now, it's Labor Day weekend, which serves as the unofficial beginning of fall. So after tomorrow, pools will close. Kids have already started making their way back to school. And as the fall begins, I'm certain that in a room this size, as well as at our other locations, many of you are feeling troubled. Souls and minds are anxious. Maybe you're a student or a teacher for that matter, and you're anxious about what the upcoming school year might hold. Or maybe the uncertainty of the economy or life in general has left you feeling anxious. I know midterm elections are right around the corner, which can bring about a host of different emotions, if we're being honest. Maybe you're feeling anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, at the end of your rope. Maybe you're feeling alone or maybe all of the above, and you're just in need of something to help you get by. Or if you're not there right now, the reality is that those times are coming. So where do we turn when trouble strikes? I've felt this personally even over the past month as I've been involved with three different funerals, ranging from the death of an infant in our church family to the loss of my wife's father. And through it all, Man, this psalm has been a source of tremendous comfort and blessing to me and my family. It's packed with truths to help us and encourage us in times of trouble. In fact, one commentator simply said, read this psalm when your world seems to be falling apart. Is your world falling apart right now? As we dive into this text, I've got three summary encouragements that I want to point out based on this psalm and my prayer all week long has been that God would use this passage for each of us to bring about peace and deep trust in the Lord amid whatever trouble, trial, or anxiety you might be facing or will face in the days ahead. So the first verse really serves as the thesis statement for this entire psalm. So what I want to do is actually have us all read it together out loud, and then I want to give you just a quick moment on your own to ask the Lord to speak to you personally through his word today. And then we'll dive in. Let's read verse together, uh, verse one together, which is going to be on the screen. And it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Go ahead and take a moment on your own. Ask the Lord to speak to you personally this morning.
Father, our souls need nothing else today than to hear from you. So I pray that you would speak clearly to every single one of us through your word today. Meet us where we're at in our lives. And pray that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path this morning. We love you and thank you that you've given us your word to guide us in times of trouble. We're excited to see what you have for us this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's children said together, Amen. 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 All right, well, before we dive in, let me give you just a little bit of context on this psalm so we're all on the same page. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us when the psalm was written or what situation it was written in response to, but it does tell us how this psalm was used and who wrote it. And we get that from the heading of this psalm. Similar to other psalms that we've looked at this summer, it tells us that this was a song. Let me put this up on the screen, but it says at the very beginning, to the choir master, a song. Pretty clear. It's a song, right? When it says, according to Alamoth, this could indicate that this song was intended to be sung by female voices. It says it was written by the sons of Korah. And this is a group of people who were among the Levites that King David had appointed to serve as worship leaders. Worship leaders. And Korah was their distant ancestor who, at the time of the Exodus, led the biggest rebellion against Moses and his leadership. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 16. And his rebellion brought about God's swift judgment. And so he, along with his family, his followers, and everything that they owned were swallowed up into the earth. Like literally, that's what happened. You can read about it in number 16. It says this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. That's a bad day. And now you have his descendants serving the Lord by leading his people in worship. Which, isn't that in and of itself a wonderful picture of how God can redeem you and restore you from the sins of your ancestors in your past? Like right here from the heading of this psalm, we've got a picture of God's grace right here. So, written by the sons of Korah. And Korah's descendants may have even had that specific situation in mind when they wrote these opening verses. Let me read them for us here. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. It says this, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. What frightening imagery we see here in these opening verses. Mountains crumbling apart into a raging and violent sea. This makes me think of those apocalyptic end-of-the-world movies that come out every few years or so. Any of you like those movies? Some of you? Much to my wife's dismay, I love those movies. I don't really know why I do. I just do. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Enjoy watching. I don't know. I I suppose it's good. Who knows? This is going to date me a little bit, but these opening verses almost seem like a combination of the movies, uh, The Deep Impact and The Perfect Storm, if you remember those. I'm not recommending those movies necessarily, but... This is what you see being described in these opening verses here. You've got a cataclysmic earthquake and a chaotic tidal wave, which would cause any one of us to be overwhelmed with fear. And the writers are using this imagery intentionally here to make an important point. Natural disasters are immensely powerful. In fact, if you've been watching the news, people in Pakistan this week felt that in an incredibly difficult way as millions of people have been displaced and now over 1,200 people have been killed by flooding from an unprecedented monsoon, many of which were children. 
which we stop and pray, God, please bring comfort and healing to those in Pakistan impacted by this tragic event. You and I are powerless to stand up against anything like an avalanche, hurricane, or a tornado. We cannot stand against forces like these. But in this psalm, God says to us, I can. I can stand against that. He alone stands sovereign over floods, fires, and famines. And in fact, he speaks and storms stand still. And he's saying to us in these verses, if I can handle the biggest natural force with ease, then I can handle any trouble that you will face in this world. And handle any of it. No matter how big they might seem, our God is far greater. That's why it says here in verse 2, Therefore, we will not fear even if the entire world begins to fall apart. We will not fear. Why? Go back to verse 1. Because God is our refuge and strength. He's our shelter. He's our protector in the face of difficulty. He's able to protect you and sustain you in the storm. Goes on to say he's our very present help. He's not just a present help. It says he's a very present help. That's good news to us. His presence is available at all times, particularly in times of trouble. In fact, this phrase literally means a help that can be found when you need it. And God cannot be exhausted in the help that he's able to provide to you and to me. Because we serve a God who is omnipresent, which is a big word meaning that he is fully present at every point of space with his entire being. Think about that for a second. Fully present at every point of space with his entire being. He alone is able to be fully available to every single person in the world at every single moment, which is why the language throughout this entire psalm is plural. He is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. I love how God reiterates this test in Isaiah 41.10. It's one of my absolute favorite verses. He says to us, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you're a follower of Jesus, hear this. When your world is turned upside down, you have a God who is with you and promises to help you. And because of that, nothing can shake you. Nothing. We'll see a little bit later why this is the case. So if you're taking notes... You can summarize these first three verses in this way. Encouragement number one, God is greater than any trouble you will face and is with you as your helper, your refuge, and your strength. It's greater than any trouble you will face and is with you. And then we come to a word that if we're honest with ourselves, we often tend to skip over when we're reading through the Psalms. The word selah. Do you ever wonder why that word's there? might seem out of place at different times. Well, it's thought to be used in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's used for musical direction. Like, remember, this is a psalm that we're studying here today, a song. The note would instruct musicians sometimes to either pause for a breath, leave some silence, or allow the instruments to play on their own for a little bit. It could also mean the building of intensity in the music. So if you're musically trained, this is known as a crescendo. Other times, it was instruction given for worship leaders. When this phrase would be read at the congregation, worship leaders would sometimes call the congregation to pause for a moment and lift their hands up in prayer in response to what was sung. However it's being used, it seems as if this word is encouraging us to 
linger and reflect for a moment before moving on to what's next, which might be something helpful for us to practice in our own Bible reading. The Amplified Bible actually adds this phrase often after that, you see that term appear. It says, pause and calmly think about that, which is where I want to do something a little bit differently in our time together today. If you have the passage open in front of you, you'll notice that this psalm is divided into three different sections, each ending with that term, selah. And rather than just skipping past it, I want to allow us some time to pause and to respond to what God is saying to us in each of these sections. And here's how I want to do that. At each of our locations, you'll see around the room, there's uh, some stacks of paper, just some plain sheets of paper with something to write on. If you're here at Tyson's, you'll find that around the room here at our communion tables. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to pick up one of those sheets if you haven't done so already. And at the end of each section, I'm going to give you about three or four minutes or so to write out a brief prayer in response to what we've just studied. I'll say some of you are probably going to be tempted to want to use your device instead, but I really want to encourage you to actually handwrite these prayers. First, to limit any distraction that might pop up on that screen in front of you, but mainly because you are much more likely to remember things when you write them down. And some of what we're going to work through today are things that we want to remember, especially in times of difficulty. Here's how I want you to guide your written prayers during this first section. This will be up on the screen in just a moment to guide you, so you don't have to take notes on that if you don't want to, but I simply want you first to acknowledge to the Lord the difficulties that you're facing, and then praise Him that He is greater than the difficulties that you're facing. Don't ask Him to resolve them yet. We're going to get to that in a moment, I promise. But start just by making of a list of the things that are leaving you feel troubled in this life right now. You can even express those troubles honestly to him, saying, God, this situation is causing me to feel fill in the blank. He welcomes that honest expression. In fact, in Psalm 46, you're going to see that the writers don't hide difficult things. They name them. So we can as well. And then I want you to conclude your prayer, your written prayer, with praise. God, I praise you because you are bigger than fill in the blank. Thank him that he is a refuge in, a, in our strength in times of trouble. And if you're not currently in a time of trouble, then just writing out prayers of praise is a helpful exercise for you this morning as well, to be reminded of that for when those times come. And I'll also add this, if you're here today and you're exploring Christianity or you've not yet uh, trusted in Jesus, I want to invite you to participate with us today as well. You're welcome to write out the things that are difficult and troubling to you right now as well. But then I would invite you to ask God to show you that he is truly bigger than the troubles that you are facing today. So before we get started then, let's just read these verses together again as a reminder. And if you haven't already grabbed a sheet of paper, you're welcome to grab that and I'll give you a few minutes or so. Psalm 46 verses 1 to 3, let's read this all together. It says this, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Go ahead and take a few moments on your own.
Heavenly Father, I praise you for what we see in Deuteronomy 4-7, which says, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord God whenever we call on him? Thank you for what we see in Psalm 23 that says, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil for you are with us. Praise you, Lord, for what you said to Job, telling him that you were the one who shuts in the sea, who calls about the rain, who limits the clouds, who maintains storehouses of snow and hail, and you even command the sun. And this God who holds all things in his hands welcomes us to come to him, bring our issues and troubles and challenges to you. All glory be to your name, Lord. We thank you that you're a God that's big enough to handle our troubles. And ask as we continue to walk through this text that you would encourage our hearts and deepen our trust in you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. If you uh, needed more time to keep writing out your prayer, that's okay. We're going to have a little bit more time as we go throughout uh, the rest of our time here this morning. So don't worry, you'll have some time to do that. But remember, God is greater than any trouble and is with you as your helper, your refuge, and your strength. Let's read the next four verses together where we're going to see some of the blessings that come from God's very present help. So Psalm 46, starting in verse 4 through verse 7, let's read this all together. It says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now the opening verses of this passage are often misunderstood, so let's make sure we're all on the same page with what the author is actually saying here. First, when it says the city of God, this is a reference to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was known as the city of God because it was the place where the special glory of the Lord was present, specifically in the temple in the Holy of Holies, which was entered only once a year by the high priest. Now, interestingly enough, we're going to see in our Bible reading plan tomorrow in Ezekiel 8 that because of the people's wickedness and rebellion, God's presence would eventually leave the temple and Jerusalem all together. It's talking about Jerusalem. And the Israelites would travel to Jerusalem often to worship and celebrate the major feasts during the year. It was the place they longed to be because nearness to God brought about the blessing of God. So this verse is speaking about the city of Jerusalem, but then it mentions a river, which might seem a bit odd if you're you're up on your holy land geography because there's no actual river in Jerusalem. Closest river is miles away from the city, the Jordan. So what is this all about? Well, the idea of a river here is being used as a metaphor for the blessing of God's presence. It's a picture of refreshment, satisfaction. It's saying that from the presence of God in his holy city flows security and satisfaction from God himself. And this metaphor of a refreshing river is used all throughout the Bible. We saw this in Todd's message weeks ago from Psalm 1. It's reminiscent of the river in Genesis 2 that flowed through the perfect Garden of Eden. The Apostle John even saw this imagery in a vision of the new heavens and the new earth in the book of Revelation. It says this in Revelation 22, 1 through 3. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the midst of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Listen to how Randy Alcorn in his book on heaven describes the purpose of this river in Revelation 22. He says this, Notice that the source of this powerful stream is the throne of God, occupied by the Lamb. He is the source of all natural beauties and wonders. They derive their beauty from the artist. The great river reflects his thirst-quenching and need-satisfying nature. He always meets his people's needs and fulfills their longings. So this river, symbolizing God's presence, brings about satisfaction and security, which leads to what? What does it say in verse 4? Gladness. Makes glad the city of God. Now this helps us understand then what verse 5 is saying, which if we're honest, this is a verse that has been used out of context by many a coffee mug, journal, day planner, and Instagram post. You know, and this passage says God is in the midst of her. It's not speaking specifically about women, although they are absolutely included, but the city of God's people, Jerusalem, which the Bible often personifies in the feminine. You'll see this similarly in the New Testament when the church is described as the bride of Christ. So now you're thinking, okay, okay, Nate, I get it, I get it, but what in the world does this have to do with us then? We don't live in Jerusalem and God's presence is no longer in the temple. Where do we find the satisfaction and security from his presence? Where do we find it? To which I would say, God actually does still dwell in a temple, just a different one. Do you know what that temple is? It's you. It's you. For those of you who have trusted in Jesus, you are now the temple of God. Says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You see, when you trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you and provides you with the blessings of God's presence. So now the blessing of God's presence extends far beyond a city to women and men who have trusted in Jesus, and those blessings are many. This passage highlights just a few of them, which are going to direct how we're going to about to pray. So how does, how does his presence satisfy us? He satisfies fully. God satisfies fully. We've seen this already in verse 4. Just as God's presence in Jerusalem makes glad the people in the city, those who have trusted in Christ are filled with the abundant joy and gladness that comes from Almighty God. He's the only one who completely satisfies our souls. And we see this in Psalm 63. My soul will be satisfied as with rich and fat food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. He satisfies fully. He also secures daily. It says in verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The seas and the mountains might be moving but the people of God are not. It says they shall not be moved. God is our firm foundation. We just sung about that at Tyson's here a little while ago. That cannot be shaken by any circumstance. He can never be exhausted, and his help is available and new every single morning. He promises to be your rock and your help every single day. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. He secures daily and he speaks 
powerfully. See this picture in verse 6, using the imagery of nation at war with nation. It says, the nations rage, king, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, and the earth melts. This is the power of our great God. He speaks and wars cease. He whispers a word and kingdoms dissolve. And the same God who can melt the earth by opening his mouth invites you and I to bring our troubles to him and he powerfully moves in response to our cries for help. Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. So we could summarize this middle section in this way. Encouragement number two, in the midst of your troubles, God promises to satisfy you, secure you, and speak his perfect purposes into being. He promises to satisfy you, secure you, and speak his perfect purposes into being which makes verse 7 all the more wonderful. It echoes the truth of verse 1. It says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God who commands the heavenly armies is with you. In addition to being your refuge, he is also your fortress, which literally means an impenetrable defense. It's good news. And then we come again to the word Selah which leads us to pause and respond. So here's how I want to invite you to spend the next few moments as you're writing out this next section of prayers. Considering the troubles that you listed out on your paper at first, I want you to spend some time asking the Lord for his help in line with the blessings that's provided by his presence. So remember, he satisfies fully, secures daily, and speaks powerfully. So be on the screen in just a moment, but take some time to write out some prayers that are asking the Lord to satisfy you and fill you with his supernatural joy amid the situation that you're facing. Ask him to help you rest in his security and to be the firm foundation upon which you rest as you continue to navigate the storm. And then boldly ask him to work powerfully in the situation that you're facing. We're called to make Pray bold prayers and ask him to move in powerful ways. But even as I say that, we do need to remember that God always works in accord with his perfect plans. Always does. But sometimes those perfect plans might not align with the plans that you and I have in mind for our lives. Which is why our summary statement says he speaks his perfect purposes into being. So we ask him to work powerfully, but we trust him completely in how he moves because he knows best which we're going to see in the next section why he can be trusted. So, and for those of you who have not yet trusted in Jesus, I want to ask you to write out your answers to the following question as well. What might be keeping you from trusting that God is who he says he is? I want to encourage you to write that out for a moment. List those things out and know that God welcomes you to bring those doubts and concerns to him as well. Mike showed us this clearly last week in Psalm 73. God is big enough not only to carry your troubles, but also your doubts. You can lift those up to him. So I'm going to give you a few minutes on your own to write out your prayers, and I'll pray for us, and we'll move on to our last section. Go ahead and take some time on your own.
Lord Jesus, we praise you that you being an omnipresent God means that you are fully aware of every single circumstance every single one of us are walking through right now or will walk through in the future. And I pray for those within the sound of my voice today, Lord, that as we walk through trials, you would deeply satisfy our souls. You would fill us with the supernatural joy that's only possible because of your Holy Spirit. And pray, God, that you would remind us that you are our only true firm foundation, that we would make our foundation in nothing else than on you, that we'd be reminded that the house that is, uh, of the house that is built on the rock, that when the rains came and the winds blew, that house did not move, which is what you promised to those who have placed their trust in you. And God, as many have lifted up bold prayers to you this morning, I pray that you would answer them in ways that show your power and your glory, ways that can only be explained by you and drive us to love you even more, even if it might not be in the way that we expect. We thank you, God, as I said in Psalm 34, that you hear and deliver your people out of all of their troubles. And I pray as we continue through this psalm, you would show us why we can trust you in that. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Be encouraged, church family, that in the midst of your troubles, God promises to satisfy you, secure you, and speak his perfect purposes into being. Let's read the last four verses together as we prepare for our last prayer time together, starting in verse 8, and this will be up on the screen for you. It says this, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Now, this last section is key because it shows us why God is completely trustworthy. It begins with a call to remember how the Lord has delivered his people in the past. It says, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now, when it says desolations, it's referring to previous times when the Lord had protected his people by overthrowing their enemies. In fact, some believe that the authors uh, maybe had God's deliverance of King Hezekiah in mind when they were writing the psalm. You can read about this in Isaiah 37, but the Assyrian army had surrounded Jerusalem and was preparing to attack. And in response to King Hezekiah's prayer, the Lord worked mightily by wiping out 185,000 of their troops overnight. Talk about a powerful prayer, right? Lord responding to the bold prayers of his people. Don't know if it's that situation or not, but regardless, these verses instruct us to remember how God has worked faithfully in the past as help for us in the present, in the future. And then we come to verse 10, one of the most hopeful and profound verses in this entire psalm. The one who can utter a word and melt the earth now speaks and he speaks to you and me and this is what he says. Be still. 
says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What a statement. Who can say that? I'll tell you who can. God can. And he's done everything necessary to back it up. He's evidenced through all of history that he is fully trustworthy and reliable. And this is seen most clearly through the one event that all of history hinges upon. When the God who spoke the mountains and seas into existence stepped onto this earth as a man through the person of Jesus Christ. Stepped down from heaven, dwelled on this earth as a man, lived a perfect life, and took on the problem that every single one of us face separation from God because of our rebellion against him. And he secured salvation for us by dying on the cross in our place, only to rise from the dead three three days later, proving that he was God and that death, our ultimate enemy, had been defeated. And then he declared that all who trust in his payment for their sin will receive his free gift of salvation and be graciously welcomed unto him as one of his children. To be filled with the blessing of his presence through the Holy Spirit and guaranteed to reside with him for all of eternity whenever this life comes to an end. It's the best news in the world. And for those who have trusted in Jesus, this is a statement of great hope. Be still and know that I am God. Gives you incredible hope and comfort knowing that there is a day coming when all of your troubles will cease and you will enjoy perfect, all-satisfying, eternal existence with God as your Father. It's coming. This is why Jesus said to us in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have what? Peace. Peace. You may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So if you're taking notes, our last encouragement for today, encouragement number three, you can find hope in your troubles because God has guaranteed the end. The end is certain. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. If God has guaranteed your eternity, then you have nothing to fear. It's a statement of great hope. But it's also a statement of great warning. It's a call to all who have not trusted in him to recognize him for who he is and the reality that he will bring. Because you see, there is a day coming when Jesus will return to this earth. And if that day comes soon or if we die before he comes without professing faith in him, then we will spend eternity separated from him, bearing his wrath, the penalty that we all rightfully deserve. John actually gives us a picture of that day in Revelation 19. He says this, And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called the Word of God. 
And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is actually why some translations render verse 10. Instead of saying, be still, it says, cease striving. Saying, don't fight against this, deny it, or treat it casually, because the end is certain. Jesus has declared, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want to urge you today, do not wait. Because there's a time coming when it will be too late. It's a statement of great hope but it's also a statement of great warning. And then this psalm closes with what has become the chorus of this song. It's the same ending as the middle section. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God who will come with the armies of heaven. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Which sets up how we're going to do our last section of written prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus, I simply want you just to write out a prayer asking the Lord to deepen your trust in his perfect plans. As I said earlier, he sometimes allows troubles to remain in our lives for reasons we might not only understand until we're with him in eternity. And he's promised that while there's difficulty in this life, eternity is coming and its glory will far surpass anything that you will face in this life. So I want to invite you to write out a prayer asking, you, asking him to help you trust him in your trouble and to find rest in his perfect plans. You might even take some time to thank him for the ways that he's shown himself faithful in the past. It'd be a really good exercise to drive us to praise. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's where I want to invite you to place your trust in him. Simply acknowledge to God that you see that he is real express your desire to receive his forgiveness for the ways that you've rejected him. And let this be the day that you cease striving against God and submit to his rightful reign in your life. Receive his free gift of grace made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And you can express that in a simple written prayer to him right now. I'm going to give you a few moments on your own, and then I'll close our time together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Lord Jesus, we praise you that we get to serve and pray to a God who's already declared the end. Now we know where all of history is headed towards. All glory be to your name. We thank you that you've given us this reality and even allowed us to see it here clearly in Psalm 46. In light of this reality, Lord, we pray for the nations. We pray for those in our city. We pray for those around the world who have yet to embrace this, particularly the three billion people around the world who have little to no access of this good news. Lord, may many, all the earth hear that this end is coming, but there's a way to be restored to you. And may we be faithful in taking that good news to them. I pray for those listening in today, Lord, as well, who have yet to place their trust in you. I pray that you'd reveal yourself to them, and that as they recognize their need for you and submit themselves to your lordship, that you would meet them in a special way. Fill them with your supernatural peace and joy. Change their lives as you've done for many of us here in our church family. And allow them to take that good news to others who desperately need to hear it. And as we head into the fall, Lord, I pray that you would give us great confidence in you. Help us to keep these truths at the forefront of our minds, no matter what this fall might bring in our own lives, in our world, knowing that you were the one who sits as God over it all. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these truths. And we pray this in your son's name. And all God's children said together, amen. Amen. amen.